This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. This is an important week for economic data. The latest jobs report will come on Monday, plus uh, on Friday, I should say. Plus, you also have the reports on personal income and spending, monthly auto sales, and many others. But we're also coming off a preliminary quarter two GDP report, which was under expectations. And all of this, as we're in the middle of a very heated race for the White House. Moody Analytics Chief Economist Mark Zandi takes a look at all of this data, and he joins us to give us a look at the state of the economy right now. And obviously, Mark Zandi would, was not in New Hampshire to buy that winning Powerball ticket because he's joining us here on the show right now. Right, Mark? Uh, yeah. Hi, Dan. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Good to have you as well. Uh, I guess let, let's start with the, the GDP report from, from last week. The, the estimates came in well underestimations from several sources I saw. Uh, break down the report a little bit for us. Well, it was uh, disappointing. The top line number was uh, 1%, a little over 1%. Uh, the, the main uh, reason for the miss, the, the lower than expected number, was uh, inventories. Uh, inventories subtracted over a percentage point from uh, the GDP number. And, uh, you know, that was tough on growth in the current quarter, but augurs well for the future because, you know, as businesses draw down their inventory, uh, they're going to need to replenish them, and that means increased production. So, you know, I, I'm not too worried. Bottom line, I know there's a lot of cross-currents here, but bottom line, I'm not too worried about it. I think the economy is fine. So, uh, and it, one of the things that obviously potentially happens down the road is, uh, in the next uh, several weeks, is that you'll have revisions to that GDP number. Do you think that that's going to happen, or is this a process that's going to play out into quarter three and quarter four this year? Yeah, good point. The revisions are actually quite large. The average revision is about a percentage point. So, you know, what that means is uh, that number could be zero or two or something in between. So, yeah, we'll get big revisions. And generally, the revisions for uh, measuring inventories are quite large because that's tough to measure and the data lags. So I wouldn't be surprised if when it's all said and done, this number gets revised up a bit. Uh, one of the things I did notice, though, in, in the numbers, that I, I guess that, that uh, consumer uh, personal consumption is is pretty good during that uh, during that quarter as well. Correct? Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why I'm not worried about the economy. I think it's fine. Uh, consumers are spending with uh, I can't, I can't, the word might be gusto. I mean, the, the really very strong spending growth uh, in the quarter, and, and actually since. Um, since uh, late 2014, early 2015, last year, con- real consumer spending growth was over 3%, which and it, it's tracking about the same this year, and, and that's about as good as it gets. And, yeah, you can see it in lots of different statistics. I mean, one of the most notable is that vehicle sales are running at 17 million units annualized. That's, uh, that's a record high. So, uh, you know, consumers are doing their part. They're hanging tough, and as long as that's the case, I think, we'll, again, we'll be fine. And, of course, this is a day where we're going to see uh, a lot of the auto sales numbers come out. Uh, and I guess the expectation is that those numbers are going to continue to run run pretty good because people feel like they, they, they can spend a little bit right now. Yeah, I, you know, everything is go at, at the back of the consumer. I mean, we're creating lots of jobs. Uh, we are, uh, the, have created so many jobs over the last uh, six, seven years that the economy now finally is back to full employment or close. The result is that wage growth is picking up uh, for the first time, and that's a plus. Uh, of course, you've got gasoline prices that are now closing back on $2 a gallon. 
You've got very low debt levels. Uh, interest rates are rock bottom, so people are refinancing again. Uh, stock prices are at record highs. Housing values have been rising consistently now since the bottom in the housing market back in late 2011. So, you know, uh, certainly there are lo- uh, many, many people who have not uh, participated in the economic recovery. It still hasn't caught up to them yet. But, you know, if you look at the aggregate, the, the averages, uh, the medians, uh, it all looks pretty good. Mark Zandi joins us for Moody's Analytics. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like to jump in and ask a question on Twitter, you can, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Obviously, the consumer is feeling very good with the gasoline prices being the way they are. Oil prices in general, uh, how much of a factor are they kind of to the overall economic viewpoint of not only the U.S., but uh, of the world right now, because a lot of people continue to wonder whether or not we're going to see an interest rate increase from the Fed uh, maybe later this year. Well, uh, so oil prices, uh, you know, for the U.S. economy, it's kind of a wash, maybe a small positive. I mean, we, because we've uh, ramped up our production of oil in recent years because of North American shale, um, you know, when prices fall, it's hard on energy producers. In fact, they pulled back very aggressively on their investment. That's one reason why the investment numbers have looked so soft. But, of course, it's a boon to consumers, as I mentioned, one of the reasons why vehicle sales are at record high. So, you know, you wash, you net out all the cross-currents, positive, negative, and it's probably a small positive, but, right. you know, not a big deal. Um, uh, so, you know, going forward, if, if oil prices, energy prices rise modestly, uh, which is what I would expect. We're at, you know, close to $40 a barrel of oil. I think in the long run we should be closer to 60 65 So if we kind of rise to that over the next couple, three years, you know, I, I don't think it's a big deal for the economy. Uh, the jobs report will be coming out on Friday, and, and I'm guessing you're already starting to kind of formulate uh, what your thoughts are on what we're going to see after what was a, a, a pretty impressive number the last time out. Yeah, you know, I think the underlying uh, pace of job growth is Probably somewhere around 150 to 200,000 per month. We were, you know, obviously well above that last month, but we were well below that the month before. So you get a lot of of ups and downs and all arounds in the in the data, monthly data. But I think underlying job growth is about 150 to 200k, which is uh, you know pretty good. I, I mean, just to give you a sense of uh, of that context, we need to create about 85,000 jobs per month to absorb the growth in the working age population and, and people coming in the labor force. So, you know, even at the current rate of job growth, it's about double what we need to to absorb the working age population, thus unemployment and unemployment continue to decline. So it's a pretty pretty solid pace of growth. Um, it's going to slow uh, just because we are at full employment or pretty close, and so it's going to be very tough for businesses to fill a lot of open positions. In fact, I think our biggest problem going forward, at least for the foreseeable future, isn't going to be unemployment or underemployment. It's going to be a lack of labor. Businesses are going to have a tough time finding qualified individuals. So that really then puts the uh, the impetus on the companies themselves that if they have jobs open, uh, that maybe they need to, again, and we've talked about this on the show, is to really make a push of retraining the people they already have within their company for those jobs, and that will kind of fill some of those spots that they really need to take care of. Yeah, they're going to have to do a lot more. They're going to have to do that and a lot more, I think. I mean, yes, training, retraining. I think they're going to have to get more proactive with regard to 
uh, participating in our educational system. You know, you have lots of, of large companies now teaming up with universities and colleges, trying to uh, figure out how to work with those universities and colleges to uh, get the right kind of people for their businesses. Uh, I think they're going to have to start. We're going to start thinking about immigration reform. You know, getting more skilled, educated workers from overseas uh, here. Um, so it's it's going to take uh, you know a multifaceted effort. I think also businesses are going to have to start spending more. Uh, in that they're going to, have to invest more in um, in, in uh, uh, labor-saving kind of technology. I mean, productivity growth has been very very weak post-recovery, and uh, they're going to have to ramp that up. So that's going to take more investment. So it's going to take a number of things to to get them where they, they're going to need to be if they want to remain competitive. Uh, I have mentioned on the show about the fact that. Um... Uh, the unemployment number, that number that's around 4.7, 4.8% right now. The 4.9. Uh, 4.9. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an important number, but the labor participation rate is a, is a very important number right now. And that continues to be below 63%. Uh, with the numbers of baby boomers that are going out right now and, and the shift that's kind of going on, is that number probably going to stay that low for a, a significant period of time? Yeah, it's, it, the participation is going to continue to decline uh, simply because the boomer generation is retiring, and it's a big, big cohort, and that's going to continue for the next 10 to 15 years. So uh, all else being equal, the labor force participation rate will fall two, three-tenths of a percent per annum, just simply because of that demographic fact. Right. So, you know, that's another reason why I think the labor market is going to be very tight, because the participation rate is going to continue to decline. And... You know, I think there's still a little bit of slack left in the labor market. There are some folks that stepped out of the workforce, not counted as unemployed, that will probably step back in. So we might get a little bit of a balance in participation, but that'll be very, very temporary and, and will fade away pretty quickly. So we, we've got to get used to falling participation rates going forward. You are going through some uh, some policy key important f- uh, factors going forward. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned uh, the, the, the tax issue, uh, the, you know, kind of the reforming of the tax code here in the, in the U.S. Uh, is, is that something that may be a factor going forward in trying to kind of boost the, the level of, of the economy here in the U.S.? Yes, I, I think... Uh, uh, I think there's a lot of bipartisan support, actually, for um, for uh, corporate tax reform. So, yeah. you know, basically lowering the marginal rate on businesses and paying for it by eliminating or scaling back deductions, credits, other preferences in the tax code, you know, making it simpler. Also addressing this whole problem we have with regard to territorial versus global taxation. You know, the way we tax companies is different than many other uh, most other countries, and it creates a lot of difficulty for our multinationals. So there's a lot of things we could do there. And, I, and again, right. I think there's a lot of actual bipartisan support there. Uh, President Obama has put forward corporate tax reform, and House Republicans have put uh, forward uh, corporate tax reform. And just a matter of, I think, you know, getting down to the nitty-gritty, and I, I think we'll get it. And I think it will be a plus for the economy. It's, it, but it's one of those things that you know, it doesn't matter a lot for the economy in given year. It's not right. like it's going to make. It's not a game changer for next year, but right. it certainly makes a difference ten, twenty, thirty years down the road. Outside of the jobs report on Friday, and and as I said at the top, this is uh, one of those weeks where you've got a lot of important data coming out. What are the other things that that you're kind of mindful of in in these other reports that are going to be popping up today and throughout the week? Yeah, you know, the other jobs is obviously key. I mean, that's like we can count jobs pretty well. We talked about revisions to GDP. Yeah. 
Yeah, the employment numbers get revised, but very modestly so. So that you know, it's a pretty good gives you a pretty good grip on what's going on and where we're headed. And, and obviously, it matters. That's what matters to people. You know, GDP is a pretty obtuse concept, but jobs, everyone you know understands that. Uh, wages, everyone understands that. There's a, there's a, some other statistics coming out on the uh, manufacturing sector. So yeah. you know, the one sort of real key soft spot in the economy has been. Uh, anything obviously energy related because of the collapse in oil prices, but also manufacturing, yeah. and partly because of energy, because a lot of manufactured product goes into the energy sector, but also because of trade, strong dollar, weak global economy. So that and the inventory correction. So that you know, if that starts turning, go, turning positive, it, and it feels like it is, that's a that's a good good sign. It means that 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 really soft spot in the economy is. Is turning less soft, and, and that's uh, that's a plus for the for the overall economy. And, and that's been one of those numbers that has kind of been one of the watch numbers during the um, the monthly jobs reports as they've been coming out over the last couple of years. Is the manufacturing sector and the number of jobs either added or lost? And it's seemingly, for the most part, it's been a either a flat number or a negative number for the last couple of years. Yeah, that, yeah that's exactly right. I mean, it's interesting the the trade sensitive part of manufacturing has been. Uh, troubled, and there's been job losses there. The vehicle-related part of manufacturing, which is consequential, has been obviously very strong. So it's kind of washed out mostly, so it's basically been flat, but you're right. Uh, The other thing to to point out is it's not like we're talking a lot of jobs here, though. We're talking thousands of jobs per month, not tens of thousands of jobs. So we're creating 150, 200K per month. The manufacturing jobs are good jobs. They're high-quality jobs. We want them, but you know, it's not like that's going to save the day in terms of the job market. But it is interesting that, and we've had members of the medical community here on this show talking about how the medical field is such a driver of jobs right now. And seemingly, I can, I think last month, I remember seeing what, 40,000 or 50,000 jobs that were in the medical field on, on various levels. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I, that is, uh, uh, I think it's uh, arguably the strongest uh, provider of job creation throughout the economic recovery, probably close between that and and the uh, retail, leisure, hospitality industry. So it's in the in the healthcare jobs are 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 important because it, it cuts across all occupations and pay yeah. scales, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got obviously some very high end jobs, high paying, but you also have some low skilled jobs. So it, it's really an important source of jobs for the economy because it you know provides jobs for everybody. Well, and the tech jobs that that the that the medical field is adding, especially with the switch over, you know, doctors obviously having to make the switch to to digital records and, and so much more security needed uh, around the medical community. I mean, the tech industry and and the medical field they have to be very close friends at this point, and especially going forward for the next several years. Yeah, no, absolutely, and interestingly, and particularly as you get a very tight labor market because. You know, you would think the healthcare industry is going to have some real problems finding people here. You know, if they need 40, 50K per month. Right. You know, in a, in a world where we're only going to be able to support 85K per month, right. I mean, something's got to give. And so that it means wages are going to rise in the healthcare sector. They already are. But it also means that the healthcare sector has to get much better at using technology to improve productivity. If they if they can't do that, then there's going to be a real problem. So I remember when when you know before I came to work here and I was working at Wall Street Journal Radio and I talked to you every month uh, that you know that that big number coming out of the recession was 250 thousand jobs that the economy needed to add every month to kind of build it back. Well, it, it's obvious right now that that 250 number has gone away, and and we're not going to see that realistically on a consistent basis. Basis anymore, uh, and with the tighter labor market, we're looking at at, at one hundred and fifty, I guess, right? 
Well, we're at one, we're one fifty to two hundred now. I mean, we can only support going forward eighty five k. Yeah. So you know, we're moving into a different world. It's a you know, because participation rates aren't rising, they're yeah. falling, yeah. and the population is, uh, you know, growing more slowly. I mean, immigration, we need immigration reform. If we don't get that, then uh, the labor force is going to come to a virtual standstill a few years down the road. So this is going to be a real problem. We're talking with Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I wanted to spend the last few minutes talking about you because uh, your name was bandied about in the news last week uh, with the analyses that, that you did of the economic plans uh, of, of Mr. Trump. And I believe, did you also do one of, of Hillary Clinton as well? Yeah, it came out on Friday. Yeah, and, and so yeah. Go, go into those uh, reports, because obviously the, the name Mark Sandy is getting a lot of airplay these days. Well, well, it, what I did was um, I ran three scenarios for each, Mr. Trump and Secretary Clinton. The first scenario was take what they've said at face value, you know, right. what they say on the website and speeches, and run that through, and then a couple of other scenarios that might be more realistic given the political context. But if you take the at-face value scenarios, uh, the key di- there's lots of difference, obvious differences between them. In fact, their economic policies are are shockingly different. Right. But the biggest and most important in terms of economic growth is, and I keep harping on this, is immigration. Uh, you know, their attitudes towards immigration. Right. Mr. Trump obviously is no fan of immigration. Miss, Miss, uh, Secretary Clinton is a big fan. She wants to adopt. The legislation that got through the Senate back in 2013, which would significantly expand legal immigration, uh, more skilled immigrants, uh, educated immigrants, and also uh, provide a path to legalization for uh, the 11 million plus undocumented. In my mind, uh, that's a slam dunk for the economy. We need more immigrants, skilled, educated immigrants, and we do need to figure out a way to empower the undocumented because you know they have a lot of talent and skill that they can't utilized because they just aren't legal. So we have to figure that one out. If, you, if we can do that, if we mm-hmm. can get something like that Senate legislation through uh, in the future, I think that that is, in my mind, the single most important thing we can do to, to uh, get our growth rates up, uh, at least over the next four years. I mean, you're, how many jobs are you talking about that, that we could potentially see during uh, during that next four years, if Hillary Clinton were the president of the United States, well, if you, if the legislation were pla- passed on January first, twenty seventeen, the Senate legislation that passed in twenty thirteen got was actually got through yeah. the Congress and was signed by the president. It would be a million more, literally a million more legal immigrants every year. Now, of course, not all of them are working, right? But you can imagine that's four million over four years. Let's say half are working, which seems very plausible to me. That's a couple million additional jobs. That's a, that's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of income. That's very important to growth rates, supporting you know social, uh, the social security uh, uh, program, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, making sure that uh, you know we can provide all the services that we have promised to uh, to all our people. And obviously, that would change the the structure of a lot of companies as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, of course, they're already changing anyway. I yeah. mean, you know, we are truly increasingly multinational, and I think, you know, um, you take Moody's. I mean, it's like I go into a meeting, and it's like I'm in the U.N., I mean, literally. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's an amazing thing, actually. Uh, and you have the best, and the best and the brightest from all over the world working on a problem and working on it 24 hours a day. I mean, I think that's a plus. You know, that gets us where we want to go. Now, obviously, we've got to worry about those that get left behind and help them train and retrain and right. get their skill set up to where that needs to be. But 
you know, um, at the end of the day, uh, immigration, trade, globalization are a significant net positive for our economy for for a standard of living. It, it is interesting because, uh, and I I I think I, I credit you guys for looking at the two economic policies because. You know, we haven't heard a lot from the two candidates about their economic policies, and it's been kind of one of the frustrating things, you know, not to get totally off topic, it's been one of the frustrating things of this whole process to this point, is that we haven't had more of a discussion about economic policy, just in general, about what's going to play out. Well, I mean, I'd go farther than that. I mean, we haven't talked about policy at all, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. that's one of the most disappointing, frustrating things about this whole process. I mean, it's just like, you know... I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you. Um, hopefully, we've got 99 days to go. Maybe we'll start turning to policy, and we'll get some debates in and see how that goes. But uh, we, we, we've, you know, we got big problems, and you know, we're not going to be able to address them unless we start talking about them. Mark Zandi joins us uh, from Moody's Analytics. Uh, he uh, he is uh, spending time with us talking about the economic reports that are going on this week and also uh, the reporting that uh, that Moody's did about the two economic plans of the presidential candidates. So when you look at, at, at Donald Trump's idea of trying to boost the economy, uh, go into a little bit just the, the, the basic failures where where this plan really is kind of leading. Well, he's got uh, he's articulated uh, policies around three issues. One is tax and spending, and there, what he wants to do is cut taxes, uh, actually quite massively. So, about a trillion dollars in tax cuts each and every year, and most of that goes to very high income households. Yeah. Uh, and not he's not clear about how he's going to pay for that. Um, you know, he says that he believes in you know balanced budget, but there's there's no information with regard to how you're going to pay for a trillion dollars. So that's, you know, one thing, unless you can't run budget deficits that are trillion dollars more a year than they are already and expect the economy to perform well, that's just not going to happen. So it's just that has, he has to, you know, flesh that out. The second is, you know, his policies with regard to uh, uh, trade. So, you know, he wants, you know, it's articulated, Imposing tariffs on China and Mexico; those are the two largest uh, sources of imports in the United States. That would be very difficult for us to digest, just because it would raise the prices for those things, and it's not obvious that production would shift here, at least not quickly, because businesses wouldn't really know, you know, what those, whether those tariffs will remain in place or when they'll come off, and making those kinds of investments would be very difficult. And then the third is his policy on immigration, which we already articulated. So right. you know, you kind of do the arithmetic. Um, you know, even his advisors are uncomfortable with it. They say they're going to scale this back and right. make it right-sized. We haven't heard, uh, you know, exactly what they have in mind, but, uh, you know, even they don't feel, you know, very comfortable with what, what's out there in the public domain at the current time. All right, so to quickly recap, we've got the jobs report coming up on Friday, uh, and your expectation ballpark is that what we're going to see on Friday is going to be what? 150 to 200K. You know, that's consistent with what we've been getting. I, yeah. Now, all the other data suggests that we should get that uh, in in the month of uh, July. So I, I don't think any change. Nothing. Nothing is. The economy's fine. It's okay. Yeah. It's moving along. It's yeah. doing what it has been doing. In fact, it's amazingly. It's amazing how consistent it has been in yeah. terms of job creation over the last six years. So I don't see any change there. Will we see uh, GDP numbers in, in quarter three and quarter four that are? you know, three, three and a half percent, or are we going to be kind of moving along the way that we have in this one and a half to two and a half framework? 
Well, I, I think it's possible. Yeah, you get that inventory swing, which I yeah. mentioned. You get that'll give you a nice boost. Consumers should continue to do their thing. Uh, you know, I, I think in housing is is steadily improving and should continue to improve. Um, you know, the, the key thing uh, for strong, much stronger growth is business investment. If that turns, and I think it will, because a lot of the weakness has been in the energy sector, and that's you know that, that correction is is pretty much over. So yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. I think three percent kind of growth uh, over the next uh, two, four, six quarters is is conceivable. Wow, that's 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 a good long term view. I mean, six quarters. <laughs> We're playing this all the way out through twenty seventeen, so that's a good sign. Yeah, I can go even further for you, Dan. But <laughs> well, hey, Mark, that's why the, that's why we see you on on all the TV shows during the labor reports. Yeah. That is- just don't write it down. Right, know? exactly. Right. Oh, oh, so so we're doing it in chalk. We're not necessarily doing it in ink. No, I feel pretty good about it. I actually do. Yeah. I, I feel pretty good about our pro- economic prospects. <clears throat> you know, obviously, it's not going to be a straight line. It goes up and down and all around. But I think the next couple of years should be pretty good years. Well, it's always good to talk with a pen guy, uh, yeah, Mark. Thanks. So greatly appreciate your time, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Take care now. Thanks, Mark. All the best. Mark Zandi from Moody's Analytics. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.